the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Look for every opportunity that God gives us to be sensitive to those that are around us, how much God wants us to do that. So the first one is, is how we're going to handle problems with pressure. And then how we're going to be sensitive to others. Let's look at the third way we can be mature with people. And that would be a mature person has mastered his mouth. Maybe a better way would say that, have you controlled your communication? Let's look at that in James chapter 3. Again, the idea of maturity. It says, we all stumble in many ways. And I put down there, this is an understatement. Nobody's perfect. We all are going to stumble. And it says, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect person, mature, okay, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, the reason I chose the word master your mouth is because that's a little bit more to scripture. You're going to talk about your tongue. But in today's age, I'd like to kind of fan that out a little bit more. It's not just what you say, hung here, or how you make words with your lips. I know it's coming from the heart. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But here's what I would like us to know, that we have what are known as verbal and nonverbal communication. A verbal communication is how we say it, timing, tone, technique. Those are what we call verbal expressions, what we do with our tongue and our mouth. The nonverbal ones would be something like this. Your mom asks you to do something. How do you respond? Is it like... Now, you've never said anything... What you're really saying is, oh, yeah, mom, that's a great idea. You know, what you're really saying is sarcasm. You don't want to do that. So what you do is you can project not with so much the literal tongue, but you are projecting from your heart. And that heart is very, very important. So do we control our mouth, our verbal, our nonverbal communications? That's a sign of a mature person when we do that. In Scripture, you're going to find that the word tongue and communication has a lot of different illustrations. One time it's used as the rudder of a, of a ship or a boat. And you know how small that is. Sometimes it's like a little spark that sets off a big fire. Sometimes it's used even as a snake. Other times it's used as a spring. There are many different little representations of how you can direct something or cause something to go by your tongue. So I got thinking, by what I say to other people, will it discourage them? Do I destroy them? Do I delight in them? Do I give them good direction in the proper way? See, my tongue could be used to either build up or to destroy. And a mature person will know the difference with that. Now, here's something I'd like you to consider. And this will be a question I'm going to ask you. And then I think it'd be good if you asked your family. Sometimes when we talk, sometimes when we speak, we always are giving commands and directions when sometimes some of the things that we share ought to be softened into a suggestion, in a kindness, 
And maybe you might want to check with your mate or the people who love you. Then maybe, for whatever reason is your background, you give out more commands and directions that after a while your family basically just kind of tunes it out and feels like you might be on another rant or rave again. And of course, they're not responding. And what do you do then? You command even louder. You direct even more harsher. And God says, no, 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 no. Maybe if you would, sit them down and talk to them and make a suggestion. Ask them if they'd consider this. Well, think about it. Now, I wouldn't do that if my son was on a train track and a train was barreling at him. I wouldn't do that if he was playing marbles in the middle of the H1. I, you know, get off of you. But on just the issues of life, that perhaps we could do more with our tongue to build people up. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any negative, foul talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Don't let anything come out of your mouth unless you know that that's adding value to that other person. James 1.26, going back to the first chapter, says, If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion then is worthless. So here's what you might do. Before you speak, now this is hard, mature people that are developing maturity, young people, I need you to listen now. Before you speak, challenge yourself, not your family, not your mom, not your dad, not your brothers, not your sisters, but challenge yourself that before you say something, check Lord, I'm about to say something. Does it agree with Scripture? If it doesn't, maybe I'm going to hold back. Now, is it the right time to say what I'm going to say? Is it the right tone that I should say this? Is this the right technique that I should do this? Am I always correcting people for the littlest things? You know, they say black, and yeah, it was gray, but you've got to say they were wrong. Little things, are you always corrective? How about your motive, your message, and your meaning? Think about how you're coming across. A sign of a mature person says, I want to speak to their heart and to their mind that will build them up in a very kind way. So think about it. We ought to be very, very careful. All right, let's go to the fourth one now. Fourth out of five little signs of a mature person from the book of James. A mature person is a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. I like that phrase, a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, I know some of you are writing the word peacemaker versus troublemaker down. What I'd like you to do, though, is take your pencil and on the verse, I'd like you to circle the phrase, from your desires that battle within you. I am really convinced that a lot of the conflicts that we have with others, the way we display immaturity, is something that's on the inside again, that's our attitude, our desires. And so when we have conflicts with others, there's a war raging on within us. We're really a troublemaker because we are having trouble inside of us that we haven't made peace. Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go to counseling, but I am saying this, that if we all respond to James, to the Holy Spirit, and allow him, who is the author of peace, to live that out through us, then we will be a peacemaker, watch this, and a peacekeeper. Some can make peace, but they can't keep it for very long. You want to be a peacemaker and a peacekeeper and not a troublemaker. So ask yourself that question. Do I get defensive easily? Do I hurt other people's feelings? Am I a contentious person? Do I like to argue? Is there a lack of conflict in my life? Is there always drama around me? It seems like there's always people that are falling all around me that I've hurt, that get offended, that don't want me to be in their group. Could it be that I'm more of a troublemaker than a peacemaker? 
I got thinking about that and went back to the passage and found out what are the two root reasons of why I'd be a troublemaker and immature and not a peacemaker and be mature. Here's the first cause. The first one is because of selfishness. Look, if you will, at James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, and here's what you read. It says, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. So maybe circle the phrase, your pleasures. You know, often you can tell a selfish person just by hearing what they pray about. Now listen to what I just said. You that go into prayer meetings or small group studies and you hear people pray, and if they pray for things that are about them, my peace, my problems, my issues, my health, my money, my friends, my relationships, my world, it could be that there's a little bit of, I want my world to be right and then I'll take care of your world. And it could be because they see their whole life so much in conflict that it's focused on them instead of realizing that there are people that probably have a whole lot more problems than I have. Listen, folks, listen, listen, listen. We live in Hawaii. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is Hawaii. Now, those of you that don't, I don't think that you live in the worst part of the world, but we live in Hawaii, okay? So, you know, chill out. You know, it's not always about us. Other people got some tremendous issues. Over a month ago, we dealt with a lady who had a brain situation. We weren't even sure the person would live through the surgery, let alone come out of it with any form of normalcy. And now look what's happened. Others have problems. And so again, selfishness is at the root of this. I remember when Carol and I were first married and we went to a Bible college together and they loaded us up with Bible verses. Every class you go to, you're, you're, you had to memorize a verse before you went to class the next day. You were quizzed on having your... You had to memorize the verse word perfect. And that was one class. You had five classes a day. So every night you're memorizing verses as you went into the class. So we have a lot of God's word within us. Well, now, the budding new preacher boy in me wanted to shepherd my wife. And so I would sit her down as a good husband and try to preach at her. Now, that lasted about a week, those of you who know who, who Carol is. But one of the things we said is we're going to memorize a Bible verse together. And this Bible verse has helped us so much. It's Proverbs 13.10 that says this. Only by pride comes contention. So then we realized that if we had contention in our family, there would be somewhere one of us or both of us would have a degree of pride. And we immediately knew that pride was at the epicenter of the personhood of Satan. And so that means that somehow Satan was having an impact upon us personally inside pride that banged into each other and we had relational issues. Now we had relational problems because of pride. And often it was this. It's what I want, when I want it, why I want it, and when I want it. It was always about me. And so once we decided to take that verse, put it at the center of our relationship, and realize who might have the pride. And it was very simple. It was always Carol who had the pride. Just joking, just joking. Here's the second root issue from the book of James that speaks to the issue of a peacemaker versus a troublemaker. Where does it come from? The other source is judging others. James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. You will find that when we begin to judge other people that we have trouble all around us. Look at this. It says, Brother, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother 
Let me pause for a moment. Could be mother, father, brother, sister, fellow worker, fellow team member, church person, friend, neighbor, doesn't really matter, or judges that person, speaks against the law, and judges it. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Circle that phrase. Who are you to judge your neighbor? One of the reasons that our church is having the degree of health here, where people are still surprised at the love and all that, is because we deal with judging others pretty carefully. We realize that when we start judging others, we get our feelings hurt right away. We, when our feelings are hurt, we go to other people to talk to other people about it, that we compare sometimes, whatever happens, because our feelings are hurt. Now, it doesn't mean that people should be allowed to run over us with their tongue or with their life, and you know what I'm saying. But for the most part, our problems, if we really get down deep, it's because we held an unrealistic expectation of the other person. They were allowed by God to let us down so that we would go to God to get our eyes off that person and our own hurts, hang-ups, and go back to the Lord and say, Lord, you'll never let us down, that our expectations come from you. And it reminds us, as long as you and I are like this, Lord, it doesn't matter what the other people will do. Now, when I got thinking about judging other people, it really came to me how serious that judgment of other people can really be. And here's what I came to the conclusion. Watch this now. I hope this helps you. Is that I am not God. And if I'm not God, I have no reason to judge another person. Now, listen carefully to this. Judging a person is in the context of criticizing them, condemning them. Judging by analyzation that that's a foolish deed. That's a foolish act that showed indiscretion. Examination is very acceptable. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs is about that. And James now will teach us that. It's when you say, you know, that was a foolish act. That person is a jerk. That person shouldn't do that. that blah, 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 blah. That's where we step over the line from analyzation to condemnation. And that gets real dangerous. So I'm not God. Here's number two. Since I'm not God, I don't have all the facts. Now you can take that to the bank. A lot of times we judge other people. We judge them on the facts that we have, but we don't have all the facts. And I hope that you are honest enough to admit that. And since we don't have all the facts, we don't always know why he did what he did or she did what she did or all of that since we don't have all the facts because we're not God. And here's the last one. And that's simply this, is that we don't have all the motives. We don't know their motives. Listen carefully, my dearly beloved friends here, so we can preserve the unity and the harmony that we have here. Listen to this. We don't know their motives. We don't know why they did what they do. And our struggle sometimes coming is when we see them do something, we immediately attach, they did it because. And as soon as we take it, they did it because, we then put it into the motive camp and we begin to judge them according to their motives and we really could be wrong. We don't know what kind of a day they had. We don't know their personality set. We don't know what went on. We don't know what happened. And God says, we can't judge. We're not God. We don't have all the facts. And we certainly don't know their motives. So what we need to do then is to chill out, power down a little bit. And if this helps you, I hope it will. And that is to leave that person and how they acted or didn't act, what they said or didn't say, how they said or how they didn't say, whatever they did for you. And you take that person and you deliver them with love to the throne of grace and you allow God and that person to fight it out. But don't let you be the troublemaker. You ex exude to them the love of Christ and allow God to do that. When you've got to talk to them, do it gently 
and give God all the time he needs to get that person on the right path. And here's the fifth and final one, and that's this. A mature person is patient and prayerful coming to the last chapter. And this one is sometimes hard because we don't always are patient or prayerful. But it says this, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. (laughs) That means be patient until the day you die or until he comes. As you know, we consider blessed those who persevere. And then in verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So circle the word patient and circle the word prayer. What's interesting is just in chapter 5 alone, the idea of being patient is found four times. And the idea of being prayerful is found a whole lot more than that. It's found seven times. So just in one chapter alone, the whole idea is screaming at us for maturity. Be patient, be prayerful, be patient, be prayerful. Now come up for air for a moment. Those of you who have been blessed to be around mature people, people that knew how to handle the problems of life, knew how to be sensitive to those who were around them, knew how to really exude love and not be a troublemaker, weren't those people people that seemed to be patient and allowing God to work out the situation, allowing God to turn this thing around? Weren't the first one that as soon as something happened, we had to shoot low and throw grenades, you know? No way. These were people who were patient that said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? They were prayerful. They were seeking God's face. So maybe what you might want to do is power down just a little bit. I know with my kids, sometimes I would say no, and sometimes I'd say not yet. But sooner or later, they would get their answer. And so these are just five little simple principles that you might want to embrace about how that you can be a person who is becoming mature in Christ. Those of you now who are not absolutely certain of going to heaven when you die, let me make this very clear. And this is going to shock you. Everything that I said was a good thing to do, something that Christians need to work on. But none of those things, should you do it, would ever get you to heaven. I don't care if you tried to do this the rest of your life. God says you can't. Because going to heaven isn't by good deeds. It's by realizing that I look at these lists here and I see, man, I failed here, failed here, failed here, failed here, failed here. That's okay. That's called humility. You can also say, I've blown it here, blown it here, blown it here, and I've blown a whole lot more other areas. That's called brokenness. And now what you're saying is you look at this, Lord, there's nothing I could ever do to get into heaven by my works. I need you. Will you still take me to heaven? And the Lord says, you know what? When I shed my blood, I died on the cross, and I'll forgive you of all your sins in the past. I'll forgive you of the sins you're going to commit today and every sin you're going to commit in the future because he says going to heaven is not by works of righteousness that you do. It's by simple faith in Jesus Christ. And all you've got to do is humbly come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but the best I know how, I'm going to trust you as my forever Savior. Now, if you do that according to God's word, he says, he that believes on me, Christ speaking, will have everlasting life right now. Now, that's for you. For those of you who know Christ as Savior, you don't do these things not only not to get saved, you don't do these things to stay saved. You do these things because you are and you're allowing Christ who now, when you trust in Christ, lives in you. And his holiness, his maturity will live out through you. So don't sit back and worry and say, I, I want to do this, but I can't. That's okay, you can, he can. That's called spiritual maturity. And you let him. I want to talk to you privately as if you're in this room all by yourself. So how do you handle problems? Do you get uptight, negative, or grumble and gripe? Or are you positive under pressure? Are you sensitive to other people? Are you concerned about meeting their needs and their desires, their cares, their hurts? Or do you only see yourself? Do you pray for yourself more than you pray for them? 
Can you manage your mouth or control your communication? Have you learned to put a muzzle on it sometimes and not speak? When you have a juicy tidbit of gossip and it's tempting because knowledge is power, do you share it? Are you a troublemaker or a peacemaker? Do you have a tendency to stir things up or to calm things down? Do you have a hair-trigger temper where there's someone, when they speak to you, you, you explode quickly? Do you carry a grudge? Are you nursing bitterness right now? Are you a peacemaker? How long can you wait for an answer to prayer without giving up? How do you rate as a believer in Christ? So in this moment of quietness, before we close with a word of prayer, would you do a personal evaluation? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what God thinks about you, and He loves you. I can fool you. I can fool others. You can fool me. You can even fool others, but none of us can fool God. He knows exactly what's in our heart. And here's what God is saying. He says, how do you rate your maturity? Are you positive under pressure? Some of you might need to pray, God, will you change my attitude? Will you change me? I can't do this, but you can from an attitude of griping to an attitude of gratefulness. Some of you need to pray, God, will you help me handle the problems in life and not be negative about them all the time? Help me to see the cup half full. Don't let me see things in such a way that it brings me and others down. Teach me to be positive. Let me ask you, are you sensitive with others? Maybe for you, you might pray, Lord, please forgive me. I've been insensitive to my wife. She talks and I tune her out. I look at the paper, watch TV, go to my computer. I don't even listen because I don't think she has anything to say that's worth listening to. I'm too caught up in my own world to care about her world. Some of you might need to say, Lord, please forgive me for being insensitive now to my kids. Help me to realize that they are just kids. Help me to quit expecting them to act mature when I don't even act mature. Help me to be sensitive to their hurts and needs and problems. And some of you wives out there might need to say, Lord, help me to be sensitive to my husband and the pressures that he's going through right now at work, the difficulties he's trying to handle. I don't experience them, so I take him for granted. Help me not to load him up with more when he comes home, but to find the right time and the right way to share. Have you learned to master your mouth, folks? And this is a question to me. We speak a lot, so we probably say a lot of wrong things. Some of us might need to say, God, I am sorry. I've been, I've been a gossip. I've spread rumors. I've spoken negatively about others when they're not present. I've talked behind their backs. I've shared things that weren't positive. We're not building them up. God, help me not to do so. I'm so impulsive with my mouth. I'm so quick to speak, so quick to judge. Lord, I know you said if I can't control my mouth, my religion is worthless, so help me to watch my speech. Don't let me be a troublemaker, Lord. How many of you today would like to have prayer? And I'd like to pray for you, and my hand is up, so you pray for me, that we would grow in our study of James to know the Lord, and we would be a maturing church. And these are some of our benchmarks that we could look at. I know five is a lot for some of us. Some, if you just took one of these today and meditated on it all week, or take one a day and just think about that one, that one verse, that one point, put those notes out in front of you. When you sit in your car or at your desk or in your home or at school, take one and own it. How many of you would like to have prayer as believers right now that you'd like to do this as you want to grow in your grace and maturity of the Lord? Amen, amen. Now, for those of you that are not certain of salvation, you already heard how clearly that none of these things will get you into heaven. 
But you do need to call upon the name of the Lord. He will forgive you of all those things that you've done wrong. He'll forgive you of that sinful heart, nature and choice, if you'll simply come to him by faith. Is there anyone in here that would say, yes, today is the day. I want to begin new. I want to start fresh. And I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. And Pastor, would you pray for me? Because right now, I am trusting in Christ alone for my forgiveness of sin. That it's not by any good deed I do myself. Pray for me. Because I know now that my sins are forgiven. I have a home in heaven and a new life in Christ. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Would All right. Let's pray. Father, with humble hearts, we come before you. And none of us in this room would ever say that we're mature. But we pray that we are maturing. And so today, Father, each one is doing business with you in their own private way because you have your, your, loving, your loving arms around them. Your, your arm, one arm is grace and the other arm is mercy and your heart is love for them right now. And you're forgiving them of the times that they have blown it when they've known better. And that, Father, you're whispering there into their, into their ear, into their heart, into their mind that you will live out this in their life for them if they'll just let you do that, release you to do this. And so, Father, right now, They're thanking you, and I'm thanking you for my life and for this church, that you are at the center of it. And that, Father, you'll grow us into the mature Christians that we can be. Not because we deserve it, not because we'll have a personal better life, because, Father, you died on the cross so we could be this way, and your death is everything to us, and your resurrection gives us the power. And we thank you for it. And, Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.